recorded in room 233 of the Texas Tech University School of Veterinary Medicine. This is the Raider Vet Podcast. Today we will be interviewing Clayton Cobb and Anthony Goldsmith. Okay, so <laughs> we're in here recording the podcast and today we have Dr. Clayton Cobb and Anthony Goldsmith. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing good, man. How are you? Doing pretty good. I'm pretty kicking, good. dude. I'm kicking. Have y'all been pretty busy running around, kind of getting stuff ready for ribbon cutting on Friday? No. I'm actually, I'm trying to stay out of it as much as possible and just do what I'm told. Yeah. Hey, we're, we're still trying to, like, teach and finish the semester and get OSCEs ready. It's a so. lot going on. Like, um, you know, we just finished up the clinical skills yesterday, so today, for me, it was a big reset, getting a lot of cleaning done, and just trying to actually figure out what's actually next. And meanwhile, we've kind of got the the visit, which is, I mean, it's exciting. It'll, it'll yeah. be a cool event, but it's just a lot going on. But Yeah, we have a lot of empty scrotums as of yesterday. And... <laughs> the, a lot of, a lot of um, sliced up ones that are either in the trash or I've got to sort through a bunch of stuff and get them, get them all situated. And I mean, it was fun getting up to that point, though, that it's not very often you get a text message saying, hey, can you come down here and fill these testicles to make sure that they're done correctly? That they're realistic? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, on, the list of, on the list of things that has always been awkward to talk to a coworker about, but I, I, at this point, with all the you know weird stuff we've made with the models, it's been, I don't know, it's, it's still funny. It's, it's still a little awkward, but for the most part now, I, I think like everyone, I mean, we are in a medical you know program, like you're gonna talk about you know medical stuff. That's not like uh, not a big deal. It's well, still would, a little strange. You would think we'd get a little bit used to it, but in reality, we just finished that lab debrief before I walked in here. Mm-hmm. And when you have a room of about ten grown ass individuals saying, "Well, how did those testicles go? Was a scrotum to testicle ratio kind of filled out all right?" Because I realized the the goat scrotum was a little large for the size of testicles oh, yeah, on the inside. And we're like, "This is fantastic!" Everybody's snickering. Yeah. Everybody's just giggling the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> grown ass people it's uh i i i should say like you know when it when it comes to like making those stuff like it's it's really really fun for me to uh discuss with my friends and my family about what i'm doing and especially like all you know considering my background like it's a, it's a little bit different and people uh people get uh my my friends are like dude you why you gotta quit sending me pictures they're like putting stuff up on social media like be careful if anthony has your phone number because you will probably get pictures of bull testicles you know (laughs) sent to your text messages and uh which is i mean it's true well and it may be kind of important to explain a little bit what we're talking about yeah so i mean backing up real quick uh i guess what they're talking about is going to be one of our courses here at texas tech and it's clinical and professional skills and Dr. Cobb plays a pretty big role in kind of organizing that for us every week. And if you could just explain real quick, what is clinical and professional skills as a course? And what is it geared towards as far as what would you all like for students to get from that course? So it's really, I mean, like it explains clinical and professional. The professional skills side is more focused on right now anyways, the client communications aspect, um, how to present yourself, everything from mannerisms to how to work through a case, initiate, gather a history, but then we'll eventually get into everything from jurisprudence to uh, handling difficult situations, contract negotiation, all that. The clinical side, I would say, is a little bit more exciting. Everything from how to do the physical exam, how to ultrasound, how to place a catheter, 
all the way up to performing surgeries and working with the live animals and what anthony's here for is building our models so hence the testicle talk hence the testicles (laughs) so um we own quite a bit of models i mean i say quite a bit i don't even know the number of how many models and how much it costs do you have any idea anthony i mean we've got models for a lot of stuff yeah (laughs) we're talking about like uh the large models the like the equine uh you know, full system ones. I mean, we've got five of those. We've got, oh dear, uh, all at least as many cows, and I think you know, maybe more cows. Parts. Yeah, I, yeah. It's, I was gonna say at least as many, and they're they're not cheap. They're incredibly expensive. And then if you were to you know think about just the the other commercial stuff that we've purchased, is there's a lot. Um, but we also have a lot of stuff you know that we make in house and. Uh, if it's not, you know, some type of uh, modification for the existing commercial ones, or if it's something in, you know, completely new, uh, like in the case of the of the bull testicles, like they're, uh, you know, that's something entirely done from scratch. Mm-hmm. Given I can't take full credit for their, uh, you know, their innovation. It was uh, something that had been done before, and I kind of just copied it and kind of put our own spin on it with the materials that we had available to us. Um, so it's I can't I can't take full credit for it like I I invented this thing. Uh, there's a couple of things we've had to invent as time's gone on, but it's um, you know what it's just like anything else, right? Like why completely reinvent the wheel if you, if something that's already workable already exists? Presuming that it's not something that you're stealing, it's not you know copyrighted uh, or or anything like that. Well, and I will say it's probably a good opportunity to give some shout outs too. So. The Descanios bringing what they've done at previous institutions with models and the professional skills and dynamics and training actors and actresses to work with the students. But then also Clinical Professional Skills incorporates pretty much everybody here. From Cruz Penn helping us out in necropsy and histo and histopathology, to Ashley helping out in Parasit, to Fritzler helping out in micro. It's not just a person running a class, it's like 30 or 40 of us on a weekly basis constructing and getting stuff together. And I remember walking into the mad scientist lab and Anthony had like, I mean, just a whole orchestra going on of people building testicles and putting them in scrotums between the necropsy and anatomy technicians to uh, clinical professional skills technicians, small animal vet techs, and they're just shooting the crap. And so it's a machine. It's got lots of moving parts, right? Very much so. But come back to making those models. Like when I, you know, talk, to people back home or some other friends who are trying to get into veterinary school a lot of them always ask about like you know why are y'all using models why aren't you using actual animals to do this and i was wondering maybe you could you know touch on the fact that that's number one really expensive and number two you don't want to go you know poking a dog a whole bunch what's of expensive the models or the trying to get all, all those animals and everything. okay so like uh the the short answer is is that it's just plain cheaper to make models yeah that's that's the short answer. Uh, the long answer is if we're talking about, you know, why why do we use a model rather than cadavers? Because in the old school days, you know, there wasn't. Uh, and when I say old school, I mean, you know, twenty years plus. There wasn't necessarily as open of sharing of information. There was a lot of, um, you know, uh, things that kind of either had to be done a traditional way because it was in a book or you know what have you. Uh, not nearly as many tools to innovate. So it would have been a little more expensive, but the, it's also, 
you know, when you're using cadaver tissue, because that's typically what would have been used for a lot of that stuff. Cadaver tissue is problematic. You have to get it from an animal that's dead and or you have to kill the animal yourself. So there's some ethics concerns there. Plus, when you start having a class of 64 plus or 100 plus, you got to get a I mean, if we were, for example, the, the castration lab, if we were to try to get live bulls to do a castration, you know, even if each of you had to share a bull, that's 64, you know, or excuse me, 32 bulls, which is completely impractical to have. So realistically, if you were to do that, you might have two bulls that share among the whole class or one bull that shares on the whole class. And then none of you are getting the actual practice in. There might be one of you who gets to actually do it and the rest just get to watch. So by proxy, even like uh, some other uh, veterinarians who've worked here who've mentioned that they didn't get to do a castration until their fourth year of vet school. And already now our students are all getting to at least practice on a model, each getting to at least do one testicle to themselves which is already putting you in a position where when it comes to doing the actual real thing, you're already going to have more practice than most of your peers from other places. And one thing from my aspect, anyways, from the veterinary side is animal use. So I work pretty closely and thank God they put up with me at our animal care and use committee on main campus is we're only allowed to do so much on animals. And it's not necessarily that we want to follow rules like that. It's what's best for the animal. So before they can go and try to, place a catheter on a cephalic vein of a dog, we're not going to let fresh, never done it before students go in there and start poking animals. Like, you got to treat them right, and it's the right thing to do. So before we get that, let's do models, and let's get it done right. Let's make sure that they're capable and competent, and they know what they're doing, and then, yeah, we'll jump up to the to the animals the when necessary. So crawl, wanna, walk, run yeah, is what it is. Yeah, and it's we a... want to treat animals with respect. And like I said, if our Animal Care and Use Committee and USDA around here is they're helping build this with us. They're really trying to work with us and make sure we can do things correctly. And so by being able to use the models, we get that first step out of the way first year. And we're very fortunate that even during this first year, we get to start using the live animals and really start working with them because the students have progressed to that point. But models aren't just, oh, they're fun. It's a necessity these days. Like you you have to have it. And it really does make the the process of learning quite a bit faster because we can walk away after class and say, keep practicing on this. Well, the models are still there. They right. can still be revamped and maintained. So they can practice after hours. They can practice at home. They can practice after class or between on breaks. And they don't have to have oversight and we don't have to worry about live animals. Right. So there's like, you know, ethics, there's the animal safety, and then there's even just like the practicality side of it, right? You can get more practice and you get uh, something that you can actually take home because, you know, taking cadaver tissue home, probably not a good thing. Um, and on top of that, like you need a lot of infrastructure to make those things work. You need a, a constant flow of someone getting in either live animals or dead animals. And that's not always something that's going to be readily available, even though we live in the, the, you know, one of the biggest beef producing areas of, you know, the country, if not the world, um, that doesn't necessarily mean someone's just waiting in the, in the, on the sideline with a, you know, a bunch of, you know, any parts to, to really just give you to do whatever with. And then even when you get them, you got to store them. You got to keep them cold because they get gross really, really, really fast. And yeah, they do. Yeah, silicone, <laughs> silicone, on the other hand, I can make something out of silicone. I can put it on a shelf and it will stay there for years yeah. with no problem. Yeah. And so I think there's a good balance between a clinical professional skills of using 
well, I guess your title, clinical skills model technician, which yep. in reality is just mad scientist, and being able to use the skills from live animals, veterinary experience, specialist, and then try to make this thing work while we're able to utilize all the resources possible, which I guess the resources used, it's kind of infinite and it keeps building. So some of the equipment, I just want you to go through some of the equipment that you have to play with. Oh gosh. Um, some of it is admittedly a little overkill. Uh, things... I got good stuff for you. Oh yeah, it's really good stuff. So, you know, I guess uh, we've got 3D printers, which I think is probably the coolest thing that I think it, it makes the most people like uh, interested for sure. So we've got, you know, the regular FDM printers, we've got the SLA printer, um, which are just, that's just the, the manufacturing type. So, you know, 3D printer works by uh, melting plastic and putting it down into the right thing. That's a, that's an FDM printer. Then you have the SLA, which actually uses a ultraviolet razor or not razor laser to, uh, to, uh, cure, um, models into, into place using resin or some other type of liquid. So they both have their advantages, but we can effectively take something that is a computer, you know, generated model, something that was made in CAD and turn it into a working part within depending on its size and its detail, a few minutes to a couple hours to a day. Whereas previously that was something that might take lots and lots and lots of iterations to, to do something. So it's, it's a really cool piece of tech because we can, uh, I use it a lot to make tooling just to make the other parts. I also use it a lot to make uh, things to make my life easier. And sometimes I 3D print actual, just general the models directly. But we work with uh also got the 3d scanners so we need to utilize those more it, yeah. we we've used them a few times the the problem is is that um nothing we've really done so far has really been made easier with the scanners but I that's scan debbie that was pretty that's cool. it was pretty cool um there that's coming though like we've definitely got a lot of uh, practical uses that are we're going to need for them later so the 3d scanners basically use a series of cameras that um funny enough almost function just like a, a regular camera and like a regular camcorder uh the only difference is is that it's got a depth sensor and basically by constantly measuring the distance from something and constantly taking pictures the program can then map together a 3d image based off of whatever you scan so think of the same scanner you'd have in your house to for making a piece of paper except doing that several times a second and you can do an actual 3d image so it's got to be portable it's got to be something you can hold in your hand and depending on the size of the detail of the object you can take a real thing and turn it into a modeling program and then if you really wanted to or not a modeling program but a a cad model and then you can just if you wanted to 3d print it hundreds of times or post it on the internet and they other people's in other places can download uh you know, a Debbie, a, a Debbie. Yeah, then you could download them. your own personal Debbie if you really wanted to. <laughs> and it, it actually works remarkably well. And it's, um, that's a gift idea right there. We got to scan Debbie and Danelle. We got to give them their little action figures it, after their, make their every, podcast. We'll put them on the shelf over there. Yeah. Honestly, with, especially now that the SLA printer is up and running, which is far higher detail. If we actually got some good, um, scans of some people, we could a hundred percent. I could I could scan you, Clayton, and we'll make a Clayton action figure. No one needs to see that. <laughs> but it's like uh, you know, we could even 
you once you take the files, you can modify them, do whatever. We could make you posable. You'd be like a regular uh, little GI Joe. Could you yeah, scan we could make like you a, into a GI Joe? Like a broken bone or something like that? Absolutely. And then practice how you want to put it back together so or something? That's one of the next steps that we've been talking about, too. Here in July, we fire up the CT. Yep. We get trained on that. Once we fire up the CT, we'll be able to actually take those images via some $30,000 software that yep. Anthony knows a thousand times more about. Anthony and Roe. Uh, to be able to print those out and go over fractures and repairs. I haven't gotten to play with it yet because we haven't had the the CT, but that's going to be interesting because then we could even theoretically, actually, I mean, anything that you could imagine doing with a, a 3D image uh, of uh, anything. So you could do it for simulation. You could do it for, and I'm, I'm talking like VR, AR, that type of simulation. You could do it in, you know, just put it up in a browser and someone could, you know, potentially manipulate uh, some image on there. So instead of having to have everyone crowded around a screen of proprietary equipment, it's just something you could load onto a computer. Which is also a mission we've talked about. Uh, so we have the technology um, yep. to be able to do the VR, AR stuff. And mm -hmm. it's a mission me and you have been discussing for, man, I don't know. Since I started. Since we started. And since before I started. So it was in the interview you were talking to me about um, VR headsets and that type of thing. It's still an interest. We have the headsets. We have mm -hmm. the computers. Now we got to go and take the next step, which if y'all can leave us alone for the summer, <laughs> that we yeah. can actually get some of this research rolling. It'd well, be yeah. cool. I won't be here for the summer, but I know a lot of the other students will. So they'll yep. probably still be asking. Well, we've got other research projects it's going over the work. summer too. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's even ones that are a little more practical. We've got some uh, some fun stuff we're going to work on yeah. that I'm really excited about. And then going back to like making models for us during the week, like mm -hmm. you, you were talking about this Tuesday, you made us a bunch of, not this Tuesday, but this Tuesday, we right. had a bunch of testicles and scrotums that I'm pretty sure you spent a long time making. Yeah. Like how much planning goes into that and how long does it take you to get something like that put together for us to come in in the matter of like two hours and just it depends. run through them There's all. been models that we've used that I won't mention that I put together in less than two hours before the 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 the, the lab started itself. well that was because oh, no, there was... was some that you were pulling out as they were fixing oh, yeah. and we got the cutter out and we just cut them and i ran them straight yep. down to y'all in lab and said it was Fresh i literally you. started them two hours the before the lab started yeah. and it was yeah. it's uh well that was because there was there was something we overlooked that if we didn't change up something at the last moment that we could have potentially damaged you know the the you know really good stuff that's really expensive and so we made an adjustment and worked off that and sometimes that's that's a rarity that doesn't happen all the time but um but we have the ability and it's <laughs> nice to be able to well, do that to have to have uh the stuff on hand to be able to do it but a lot of a lot of what i do uh usually just really depends on what the scope of it is if i'm making suture pads for example um, I've had some suture pads that are pretty much just a set and forget. And, but a lot of the work I did by basically making molds for them that are in a CAD file, I've 3d printed the molds and then I just pour them in and they're done. I have other ones that are a little more involved with a process, um, that require, you know, layers of mesh fabric, that type of thing. Or in the case of like the testicles, for instance, I probably between inception design uh, like building the actual pieces and then assembling the pieces together. Cause that was actually a severe miscalculation on my part was just understanding how long it was going to take me to put them together yeah. for them to be destroyed in, you know, a matter of two hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was probably all together, at least a hundred man hours just with me. 
um, which is you know, like two and a half weeks of just constantly just working on that. And um, it was a lot, um, if I'm being honest, but it was a lot of that was just figuring out how it all works because I had seen the model that had been used in another institution before. I'd seen the way that they did it. And there was some of those things that were practical that we could totally do the same way in other ways that just, it wasn't going to work. Uh, so I had to do a little bit of changing. And I, so I had, once I came up with the process and actually did all the stuff together, it wasn't so bad. So if I had to do it again today, like start over, like go ahead and make those again, it would probably be much, much faster. So next year when we have, you know, a hundred students going through the, uh, uh, through the same lab, I'm going to have to make even more of them, but I already have the foundational knowledge. In a lot of ways, you guys are kind of a guinea pig uh, for me because I have to figure out how I do stuff. They're and guinea pigs for all of it's us. like if I had a dollar for every time we heard that, oh, yeah. we'd be rich. But I'm telling you <laughs> in reality because Anthony's part in this and doing the models, when you think about everybody from, like I said, Cruzpan, the Descanios yeah. and Bethany and all of us, there's so many moving parts and everybody has a task. And so every given week you say prep for a Tuesday, it's not just, we'll talk about it Monday. Right. It's weeks in advance of planning the models, getting them built, organizing cruise pen over here, uh, working with the pathology side and getting slides made. You don't just buy them and they're ready. Yeah. You need the tissue. You have to get the slides made. You have to evaluate the slides. And that's a weeks of, of work going into that. Even just gathering feces to get ready to float the feces. It's time consuming. It, it's very. It's tons of coordination. And it's tons of just prep to see everything just be done in a couple hours. You look at mm -hmm. it and you're like, what the hell just happened? And honestly, us? with the like, even just with these last like bits of models there, it wasn't even just me. Like there were I had I had a little bit of help because I didn't realize how long it was going to take me to assemble them because they you saw they have uh, we had basically a uh, tubing that was resemblant of of the vascular tissue we had even like the fascia and stuff in there is yeah. all it's lots of different things you got to put together none of which are hard to make i can cut up tubing all day that's no big deal but then you got to put it together you got to put that that fascia on it then you got to you know actually install them into the testicles and then actually install them into those it's it's a like there's a lot of time consuming tedious work so do that you know two for every set and then 32 different sets and you start running into you know some bottlenecks with the time so shout out to uh ty and cassandra and scott who actually helped me uh help but they came in on on friday and i like i just if i could get your help at lunch i bought them pizza i was like i could just i just need this these little things i need to to help assemble them and it saved me a ton of time um, cause otherwise I probably would have been here all weekend doing it myself. Yeah, I literally dipped in and was like, what are you guys up to? Well, this is fun. Uh, I'm out. good luck with your testicles. I'm going to head back to my office. <laughs> Pretty much. It's, <laughs> it's, it was a lot of, uh, you know, kind of tedious work, but, um, I would say a good amount of stuff cause you have to order all the material yeah. like silicone. You know, we have, you know, vendors, there's, there's more than one different type. You got to figure out exactly what you need. And a lot of the stuff we will have, I keep in stock. Uh, regularly just because I use it all the time, but there's uh, you know, a special project comes up. You need to order, you know, the certain diameter tubing or something like that. So we try to try to stay on top of that. So there's a lot of planning that goes involved until you even get to the point where you're actually even making stuff. And I mean, cause I don't really know this and I don't really know anybody else who's in another veterinary school, but how common of a job is like a mad scientist, you know, 
being so, at a veterinary school and using models like this, is that a pretty common thing? It's becoming very mm -hmm. common. Very common. So it's, it, you know, maybe 20 years ago, not so much. Yeah, not, 10 not years so ago, much. maybe a couple. Now, uh, most of the schools have, at the very least, they're either, they've either heard of it or are developing it or they want to do it. They're so trying it's, to get on that path. That's because there's, there's challenges, you know, like uh, back in the 60s, maybe you could just go grab a bunch of animals and no one would think twice about it yeah. now not so much um i'm not saying it was the good old days that's because that's not the term i would use because it seems almost counterproductive if a if a veterinary school or any institution that's supposed to produce uh you know uh, animal welfare or to, so to promote it anyways yeah. do no harm you <laughs> do no harm and then in turn causing harm would be counterproductive so instead, the models kind of give us uh, a way to, you know, elevate the level of, of expertise that you all are getting without having to, you know, do anything unethical and, you know. <laughs> make make your mistakes on the models. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, and some of these models, I think a big drive for a lot of people in different institutions was cost. Like, you have this model you spent 30 grand on, and the intention of the model is to beat it up and poke it. Yep. And you don't think it's going to fall apart. Oh, no, it definitely will. So Anthony takes care of that for us and makes sure they're maintained mm -hmm. and that they're, the upkeep on them is good so we can make $30,000 of one model last. Right. So, but, you know, you get a $30,000. So I think that's how much the horses are, right? They're like $30,000. Yeah. $30,000, a complete set where you can do, you know, palpation. You can do, um, you know, uh, IV training. Sentences. You can do yeah. do IVs. Uh, you can do yep. blood pools. Everything. Yep. You can do. There's all kinds of stuff that you can do with those models. They're they're really really nice, um, but I could see how you know comparing that to uh, you know a horse doesn't you know a donor horse I should say doesn't cost that much, um, but the difference is is like there's a lot of things that you absolutely cannot do with a live animal that you can on a model. And you can do it tons of times. You just got to replace the parts. But you know, from a from the, you know, dollars and cents type, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. A lot of upfront cost. But once you're using them, you're getting a ton more use. Those models will last for years, and we can use them hundreds of times before we have to worry about you know replacing anything big. It's a lot cheaper to get, you know, seven eighths tubing to replace a jugular vein, than it is to buy a whole new horse. Or not even just even if you get a horse donated, you have to feed it. You have to do, there's there's labor costs that are associated with keeping that animal alive. And once again, you can't poke a, a horse's a live horse's vein twenty times. If you if you do that, you're gonna you know have a potentially an issue on your hands. So if you can do it with a model instead, you're getting way more practice. You're getting. Uh, more better outcomes for both the animals and for the students and that's really what we're after yeah. i have a question for you i might have an answer so with the students being mostly gone for the summer what are your missions what are, uh, what are what's your goals for this summer? got some there's already got some research stuff uh that i'm really really excited about that i get to to participate in um so uh, there's one, it's like, I'm a, I've, I've got to be careful because there's probably, uh, there, well, not probably, there are some limitations about what I'm, what I'm allowed to talk about in that regard. Cause it's, you know, when, once you start getting into grants and stuff, you, you know, yeah, yeah. but it's, um, 
there's one project in particular I'm really looking forward to because I it's, hope you're gonna talk about what I want you to talk. It's about. gonna be my biggest, most complex model I think I've ever made, and I'm excited to get to turn it into a real thing because nothing, as far as I know, nothing like this exists. Now it's not what I was thinking, okay. and I'm really I'm curious now. We'll have to talk after this. We will. But there's one thing that I think would be a good shout out on it too. What's one thing you're looking at building in the makerspace over the summer? They could turn into a pretty cool ordeal. Worked on Scott Fredrickson and oh, you know. you're t- talking about our charity thing? Yeah. So I'm buying the wood. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so uh, Scott uh, F, who's he works here as an anatomy specialist, had went to school to actually build instruments. So he builds guitars and other stringed instruments, stuff like that, and. He's going to be showing me, which my carpentry skills are you know, like that's you know where I came from. But my carpentry is like buildings; it's not doing super intricate stuff like that, which I can learn, but I have to be taught. And uh, so he's gonna, we're gonna walk through those. So we're gonna work on those together, and we're gonna be making some uh, some instruments that will then be used to be. If I'm understanding it right, we're going to auction them off. Uh, for student scholarships. Mm-hmm. And I mean, these are going to be entirely custom, one of a kind. Uh, I've seen the stuff that Scott makes and he's he's incredibly talented. And especially seeing the, the people who we've got collaborating on the project with it, who are incredibly talented as well. Uh, as long as we got the right materials and we've got the right amount of time, uh, we're going to make some cool stuff. And if it's for the benefit of you know, students, um, I'm really, really excited about it. So, you know, if there's anyone out there who's interested in a, you know, a custom Texas Tech themed School of Veterinary Medicine guitar, and uh, you're interested in supporting students and getting something that's truly one of a kind, it's it's going to be really, really cool. And I'm excited. I've never like I've never built anything like that before, so I'm I'm just excited to learn how to do it. Yeah, he like came up to me a few months ago, and I was like, "Man, I have a scholarship, and I think we could actually raise money for scholarships mm-hmm. if we were to auction this thing off." And then guy got involved. Yeah, and was yeah, we can make something big out of this. So I'm really hoping we have a, a really good turnout on it. And if I had to guess, it's probably a tax write off too. So for anybody out there that has money, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, help. it would be. And I mean, if there's uh, not that you necessarily need to be a player, but if you're like a big Texas Tech fan, mm-hmm. or even just a, a you know someone who like believes in the mission of the vet school, and you're a, a musician, or you just really like guitars, um, it's gonna be like I said, I've seen Scott's work, and I've seen the people who are collaborating on the project who are, from what I there, there's some outside uh, things there. It's gonna be. Uh, it's going to be, I think we're going to have some really cool products, meaning plural, like there's going to be plural. more than one. So, um, and I'm, I'm beyond excited. That's well, and So I'd be kind of willing to say it's kind of strange how we went from testicles to 3d printing and scanning CNC machines and thermoformers to carpentry to now, I guess, charity and guitars. I mean, what is there that you don't do? Truth be told, the ones that I'm most interested in learning, and I've actually been, uh, uh, you know, I talked with with uh, Britt about um, this. Is I, the only I, I come from a family of makers of tradesmen. My, my dad was a carpenter. Uh, I have one uncle who is a jag mechanic, and another uncle who's uh, you know works doing 
press stuff. And then my grandfather was a, you know, union machinist for 35 years. And the way it was always growing up in my house, that if you don't know how to fix it, if you don't know how to make it yourself, then you don't get it. And um, even just when I was a little kid, playing with Legos, I love building things. My background is in carpentry, robotics. Uh, I mess around with, I used to do uh, climb telephone poles and uh, fix your internet. I've done fiber optic splicing. Uh, I've done a little bit of pipe fitting. Uh, that was just, you know, for my own stuff. I've done uh, apprentice electrician. Uh, I taught middle school for three years and I taught STEM applications, so 3D printing, CAD modeling. I also taught math and science. So those are all the, all the, I don't know, the, the STEM practical maker stuff. I'm a big computer enthusiast. I build computers, which I, I, I've bugged people way too many times of showing them dumb stuff I've made. Uh, but I, I really just like making stuff. And anytime I get a chance to learn something new or I get to like put something together with my own hands, it feels pretty good. So the, the ones I don't know, I don't know the blacksmithing. So that's one, that's what I was talking with Britt about Ooh, is yeah. getting into the blacksmithing. And uh, I'm, I, I, that, that'll that happen one of these days. We have another uh, Ty Tubbs who is, uh, does some silversmithing. So does some um, like custom, like soldering of, you know, like belt buckles and jewelry and that kind of thing. It's actually really, really cool. And I've never, never done any of that before. Uh, I've soldered electronics, but I've never, you know, soldered anything like that. So I'm, I'm interested to learn. Cause I just, I mean, I think it's cool. There's a, uh, the fact that we live in a, in a, on a planet where there's just people who just make stuff and either sell it or just, just for fun. Like I, I love all of that stuff. Huge fan of makers. Well, and I know we're probably about to get kicked off by CP and everybody over here. Uh, one last question that I have for you too. Okay. You probably see it coming. What's your spirit animal? A spirit animal? Yeah. Um, probably a turtle. Or when I say when I say I need explanation. When I say turtle, more specifically a tortoise, like a box tortoise. Why? Oh, they're sweet. No, they're <laughs> it's uh you know, think about it. They're kind of just like off doing their own thing. They're eating bugs. They're kind of fine with being alone or wherever, and they you know, they can clam up in a little shell. They've never been, I don't know if a box tortoise has ever been aggressive towards anything. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're sweet. <laughs> they're sweet. It, it's, like a, it. it's a cool, you think about, a, you know, a, any shelled animals, like, you know, they have just this, this uh, adaptation where they can basically become untouchable. Like, we need uh, to go so grab Kelly cool. after this and find out what this says about you. Okay, about liking box tur turtles. <laughs> yeah, you just want to clam up with your hard shell and do your own <laughs> thing and eat bugs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have eaten bugs before. Awesome. Not, not even a joke. <laughs> uh, I actually, um, no, it's not even, uh, I, <laughs> it was a dumb thing I read. Because I, I go through phases where I, I become like, obsessed with really really just like strange things and one of them was no one, one, one of them was, was uh bugs yeah it was uh <laughs> so there was a whole i, I ended up reading the, the thing of like what's the future of like protein consumption and i'm sure there's like some meat producing folks who'd be upset about this but one of the more sustainable uh methods supposedly was uh using insects and more specifically crickets mealworms that type of thing and there's a lot of cultures where that's very normal but in a lot of western societies that's not necessarily as as normal and they actually turn 
uh, crickets into protein powders. And they, I guess it's a big craze among like bodybuilders and that type of thing, but they actually sell prepackaged stuff that is a cricket protein enhanced flour that you can then bake into like cookies and that type of thing. And it's, um, it's, it's supposedly way more sustainable. And I made the cookies. I made the cookies. I bought some chips that were, uh, you know, cricket stuff. And I actually would, I would make these dumb things and give them to my coworkers at work, but I'd tell them ahead of time, like, Hey, the, I wouldn't, sure. I wouldn't, cricket I would power, never right? sneak a, you know, like, by the way, this, cause there's actually, um, if you are, are allergic to shellfish, this is a fun fact. If you're allergic to shellfish, you should actually actively, uh, avoid, uh, any of the like cricket, um, protein things because, there's a little bit of uh, their exoskeleton crossover. Yeah. yeah, it's because it's whatever is the actual agent that causes the allergic reaction could be present in both. So if you're severely allergic, they say to avoid those. But, you know, so I don't want to poison somebody by giving them something they're allergic to. But I made them and they tasted wonderful. They're just, I have a new sourdough idea. They <laughs> Sourdough cricket flour. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, they're, I don't know, they try to make it's like big health claims and I'm not. I'm I'm not saying like everyone should go out and buy cream. You just wanted but, to eat bugs. But I, I wanted to try it. You just I, wanted to eat bugs, it's, dude. it's just like with trying to learn how to make anything new. If someone offers me like, hey, you, you want to try this thing? I'm like, is it dangerous? No. Maybe. Well, then, sure, let's eat the bugs. Also done the mealworms. Also did regular barbecue crickets. They're actually really good. Like it's, it's I've done like the crickets... Like they still look like a cricket, and they—I yeah. don't know how they do them, but in Mexico they sell them like that, and then they'll put hot sauce and stuff yeah. on them. And it's, that, that's exactly what I did, and it's and pretty good. It's, but I don't know if I it's go different. Out of my way to it's make a it little um, snack. The term I'm going to use is gritty. Yes, it's because like the legs come off and they get yeah, stuck. Yeah, there's like little pieces, but it's it's fine. They're actually yeah. really tasty, and like uh, not that anyone. If you think... eat a cricket and don't expect gritty, I think you're in it for the wrong. Probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. There also used to be like back in the day, there was these uh, can the, these like lollipops with you could scorpions? get that had yeah they had like bugs in them. You get mm -hmm. ones with scorpions or with mealworms or with all kinds of stuff, and those if were kind of. If you find neat. a source, I'm in. I want to try. Okay, the lollipop with the scorpion. Amazon man. Yeah, I think we can get a grill out here. Yeah, grill some scorpion. We'd yeah, have to right get someone who actually the knows what they're scientists like location <laughs> man. We can just start a little. A little eating thing. It would actually be kind of fun. Yeah, I'd be down. This summer. Let's oh, do it. I bet you Tech's probably got permits and stuff needed for that. But if it's bugs, do you think there's rules? We'll just do it off property. Yeah. We'll do it at my house. Go across the street. <laughs> cooking in the open lot. Grilling bugs. I bugs mean, and rattlesnakes. It's like, I know you're joking, but I'm, I'm kind of no, about it. No, not really, dude. <laughs> <laughs> not really. All right. Okay. So what else needs to be said? I think we've got a good a good little conclusion of what a mad scientist does doesn't do and might do on a daily basis yeah, it's a little bit of everything yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's fun that's right well all right well appreciate you all for coming on and sitting down and talking with us it of was course fun. man all right it's a pleasure this has been the raider vet podcast for more information visit the vet school's facebook page or email us to svm at ttu.edu